I'm glad to be here. How many of you are glad to be here this morning? I, I want to agree with what Wayne said about how awesome it is that we've got to worship together, to fellowship together, to sing praises to our God, to... It's almost like you're detoxing from a week away. You know, you get to you get to come in and to, to recuperate and to to sing praises to God and to fellowship and encourage one another after dealing with everything else in the world. How many of you look back on your childhood? Some of you are children still. Uh, how, how many of you that are older uh, look back on your childhood and have a certain way of looking at things that you know, well, maybe that's not exactly how it happens, but this is how I'm going to remember it happening. Because it's way more convenient if it happened that way. My, uh, I've told you guys this story many times, so many of you have heard it, but my brother has one special memory of his childhood that just is absolutely not true, as I was there and I saw it. And yet he wants to remember it a certain way because it's more of like an action movie than a comedy. Um, we were racing our bikes, and he wants to say that he broke his arm saving kittens from a burning fire and ran into a, well, not the saving kittens part, but he ran into a rock wall and broke his arm. And the reality is he was just standing on his bike and tried to get off and got his leg twisted up and fell over. So he's changed that story in his mind somehow. Now, his argument is that I've changed that story to make him seem silly. But I was there, and I remember it accurately. It's easy sometimes to make history fit into what we want it to fit into now in our society. And you think, well, you can't change history, right? You can't, you can't just retell how things actually happened. Well, really? History now is not being taught the same as when I was a kid even. Uh, certain things about individuals have been changed to make it seem like they were more worldly or uh, more like what would fit into our society now. There's assumptions being made. Often when we even retell the, the history of our, our own society, our own, our own country, certain things are overlooked. Certain atrocities are downplayed. Certain victories are, are claimed to have happened certain ways. Why? Because it fits better into our collective thought process on what, what we're like now and to what our society is now. And so history, as it's being retold, changes. You can't change history, but you can change how it's retold. I don't know if you've ever played the kids game where you, you start with a, a line of kids. So if we start over here in the corner and we told a story to, to Dennis and he, and he shared it along the lines and we went through the lines and came out here at the end at Allen, would the story be the same when it got to Allen? If it, was a, if it was more than three or four words, it would get changed because the memory would change, right? So if it was an actual story that you actually had to remember, it would probably, it might change after the first, right? Because our memories only work the way they want to work. And so history then gets fit into our culture and is retold that way. Often we, we view things out of the, the lens of our own pride, our own arrogance, 
our own ego, a desire for ourselves to look better. You, had, you ever had an argument with someone who wasn't there? No, not talking to yourself. That, I mean, not like in a bad way, but in preparation for the argument you're going to have with that person. And so you, you, you plan out what you're going to say and you say, okay, I'm going to say this and then they'll say that and then I'll come up with this great reply and it'll be awesome because that just ends the argument right there. And so then you get into that conversation with the person and you say your first line and they don't say what you wanted them to say. And all of a sudden just everything falls apart and you're just, our ego says we can have it all figured out, right? I can, I can actually argue both sides of that conversation and it'll work out smoothly because I'm right. I'm always right. Ask my children. That's not entirely true. I think one of the absolute biggest temptations that we fall into or often failures that I think I see in our world is pride. It's arrogance. We are so smart, aren't we? I mean, we are, we are so smart. We are so good. We are so right. We have everything so figured out. That we're free really to do what we want because whatever I choose to do must be right because I'm always right. Because I'm so good, I'm so smart, and I'm so right. So even if it takes some convincing, I can do something and then convince myself that it must be okay, it must be good, because I'm so good, I'm so right, I'm so smart. And I can have that argument in my brain, and I can come up the victor in that argument because I'm having that argument with myself. And, and so then pride kicks in and says, well, yeah, you, you must be right. And we look out in the world and we say, okay, well, that's a, that's a really big worldly problem. Right? That's, a, that's a problem out there with, with them, with those others. They're, they're prideful. And they fall into that trap. They fall into that temptation. And I mean, the reality is, yeah, that probably happens. But we're here now talking amongst ourselves. And that, that temptation is there for us as well. Even within the church, to say that we have it so right, that we're so good, that we're so smart, that we have it all figured out, that we really don't need to have the same kind of reliance on God that we should have. Because we're so good, we're so smart. The, the idea then is to twist that away from God and to pull that, that power away from God and say that it's us. In some way, we're so right. We're so good. We're so smart, we've got it all figured out. And that's our desire, right? Our desire is to be good. Our desire is to be right. Our desire is to have wisdom that comes from God. But we understand where all that comes from, that it actually comes from God. We get to open up God's word and understand it and know it and understand that he is the one that provides for us and not the other way around. We, uh, we sing that song, Lord, make me a servant. I forget what number it is, but Lord, make me a servant. Lord, uh, make me like you. Is that what we want? Just think about that for a second. Is, that, is this truly our desire? 
We sing a lot of songs, and sometimes I wonder if we, we think about some of the words that we're singing. Um, because many of them are very impactful, but they're also heart, need to be heartfelt, but a lot of them have uh, these, these words of conviction. Do we, do we actually think about them? Lord, make me a servant. Lord, make me like you. So I'll ask again, is that, is that really what we want? Is that truly what we want? Is this, this uh, the desire of our heart? To serve in the way that Christ served in this world. Collectively, I, I think our answer is going to be yes, right? There is a desire for that. That is placed on our hearts as Christians to understand and to know. And even theologically in our brains, we understand the, the necessity of, of being like Christ. The necessity of serving like Christ. To be willing to be that type of servant. We look at scripture and we're absolutely thrilled at what Christ did. We, we can look through all the stories of what Christ did and we are moved by how he chose to act. When he walked on this world and in all that he did, doing the will of the Father as was read for us in John chapter 12. So then when we say to God that we want him to make us a servant, it can't just be something that is placed on our heart. It can't just be something in our brain. There has to then actually be a willingness to serve. And often we don't think of those things as different things, but they are very different. The understanding that something is true, even the acknowledgement that something is true, and then the actual action that goes along with that understanding. Are we then actually willing to serve? Is there a willingness in our life to make that actually accomplished in what we do? Do we desire to be servants? Not for our glory, not for our recognition, not for our praise, not for the thousands chanting your name for how good you've become, but just out of a desire to be pleasing to God. To truly be a servant of God. To help those who are your brothers and sisters. To help those who are your neighbors. To help those who are in need in your fellow man. This is a, a fairly large question. Is there a willingness to serve? God has truly blessed you. And sometimes I think we overlook many of the blessings that God gives us on a daily basis. But God has truly blessed you to be you. And the other day we talked, uh, in the afternoon, we talked about uh, the uniqueness of who we are and the uniqueness that God has created us with. But God has gifted you uh, to be you. Now, sometimes you, we probably wish that we could change the parts of who we are, but God has created you to be you with the talents and the abilities that you have, with even the, the memories that you have, the way that your, your brain works, the way that you look at the world, so that you can serve him as you are. Not, not as you were, but as you are as his child. That you can serve him. God has given you this ability, this talent. 
this way of looking at the world that's different than, than mine, that's different than, than other people's, so that you can take on this idea of being a servant for Him, that we can then make the body of believers better and stronger and more encouraged and closer to God because we are working together with what God has given us. As a body of believers. And as we look through that, that passage, talking about body of believers, it says that the body is made up of many what? Many of the sameness? Well, see, if you're following along in your Bibles, you'd know that's not what it says. That we're made up of many different parts, right? And we don't, we don't look at one part and say, well, I wish I was that part and I'm not this part, or changing this. If we're all an eye, it wouldn't work. If we're all a foot, it wouldn't work. We are all different parts. We have different abilities, and we use those of, to be of service to God, to bring glory to God, to encourage the body of believers to, to share the gospel in the world. So the, the question remains, is there a willingness to serve with the talents and abilities that God has blessed you with? With the personality that, that you have? And I'm not saying that we're just content with how we are. We do want to grow and mature and learn and, and, and know more about what God wants from us. But where we're at right now has to be the starting point of a willingness to serve God. And, and again, I'm not asking this, uh, this question as an accusation against any of us, but as an encouragement for all of us to either start that up or continue it right now of being of service to God. Because we need to embrace who we are. We are, we are Christians. We are God's children. We are a part of the body of believers. And God wants us to be working and living in this world to be of service to him. To bring glory to him. And it's very easy for us to put that on the back burner. It's very easy for us to kind of just say, okay, well, let that, we'll let that slowly boil behind. Well, I got all this other stuff going on. Because all of this other stuff, I just can't, I can't just remove all of this stuff. I got work, I got kids, I got family, I got all this other stuff that I'm involved in. So that other service to God will be on the back burner. That, that's flawed thinking, okay? If we're thinking like that, it's flawed thinking. Because the service to God is infused in all of that. Right? The service to God is infused in all of that we do. It should be infused in all that we do. So you're saying, well, I have, I have stuff with my kids. Well, how do you go about that? Do you go about that as a work, a service for God? Do you view that as an opportunity to live for God? Do you view that as an opportunity that it is to serve God in a manner that brings glory to God? Or at work, or in your entertainment, or any of the other avenues that you say, well, that's kind of at the forefront of my life. Well, really the foundation is this desire to serve God, to be pleasing to God, and all of that else is built on that. But we have to choose. God has given you the ability to choose. Do we truly have a willingness to serve? Do we truly have a desire to be pleasing to Him? When we ask God to make us a servant, how do you think He goes about doing that? I, I, I've used this line kind of with patience a lot, and I saw... 
a thing on Facebook the other day regarding patience and someone said, uh, Lord, please give me patience. And then under that it said in, in parentheses, it says, don't give me opportunities to learn patience. Just skip ahead and give me the patience. Because how often when we, when we ask for patience or we ask for God to make us a servant or when we ask for ourselves to be refined by God, God looks and says, okay, here's an opportunity for you to be refined. And then we cry out to God, why have you burdened me with this? Well, he must be looking at us going, wait a second. You asked me to make you a servant. I gave you an opportunity to serve. And now you're crying out that I am humbling you and giving you an opportunity to serve. Make up your mind. What, what do you want? Well, do we want him to make us servants? Do we want to serve? Do we want to have patience? Do we want to have kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control? Do we want to have all those things? I'll give you a second to think about it. The response put it, should have been quick, but yeah, we do, right? We, we desire those things. And some of those things come very naturally and some of those things are worked on. Make me a servant. Is there opportunities in your life to serve? I was going to ask everyone to put up their hands if they think there's an opportunity in their life to serve, but I'm going to just say, keep your hand down if you think there's an opportunity in your life to serve. Good, everyone agrees. Uh, there is an opportunity in your life to serve. And again, you may go beyond just the, the opportunities that come in everyday life. Uh, working, uh, entertainment, working at school, uh, in your relationships, in your friendships. You may take on other things. You may take on times where you, where you teach, literally teach the gospel, where you, where you teach at Sunday school, where you, where you take in and, and, and bring people in and try to mentor them and, and do all of those things. But there are opportunities that we have to serve, to love in this world the way that God wants us to, to be his children, to be servants. And, and the reality is, if, if you are having a, a hard time finding an avenue that you say fits your, your talents, then create one. Find a way to serve. Go and talk to, to your friends. Go and talk to your family. Talk to, to whoever. Lord, make me a servant. Our lives cannot be lived, should not be and could, cannot be lived in arrogance or pride. Thinking that we are so smart, thinking that we've got it all figured out. When God has called us to be like him, God has called us to be changed. Turn to Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, just I'm going to read the last little bit of, uh, from 8 to 10 of the paragraph. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. So there's an opportunity for us to serve, right? And we're not saying that this service then brings about salvation. We are saved by grace, right? By grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay, but then what does the very next passage say? Or the very next verse? For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
So we're not claiming that these good works, this act of service then saves us. We are saved by grace through faith because of what Christ has done. So that we don't boast then in our own salvation. But in our own salvation, we understand the need and desire then that we should have to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. So then we ask the question again, are we willing to serve? Is there a willingness for us to serve? Is there a willingness for us to do the work that God has prepared for us? This passage makes it very clear that we should. That we should be willing to serve, that there should be a desire for the Lord to make us a servant. And for us to live in humility. Humility, or, or the, the idea of being humble, gets a really, really bad rap. You ever heard say, why well, I, I really humbled that person? Was that, was that meant uh, in a positive way? When you say that phrase, or you hear that phrase said? Well, we'll show them, we'll humble that person. Well, no, it's, it's meant derogatory, it's meant in a bad, but in reality, to be humble or to have humility isn't a bad thing. Our world kind of treats it as a bad thing, but it's, a, it's not a bad thing. Even parts maybe of our personalities wants to say, whoa, fight against that. But to be humble, to have humility. Do we understand our place before God? And, and I mean, I'm, I'm asking this in all seriousness. Do we understand our place before God? Our society wants to tell us, and this is kind of the way it works right now, that your rights, who you are, is more important than anything else. So if you feel offended by anything, then, you, then something else might be wrong around you. Not you, because you're right all the time, right? So if you feel offended, it must be everybody else. Do we understand our place before God? We do not elevate ourselves above God, do we? We do not look at God and say, well, I will fit God's salvation in when I can, or I will put it in a box and it will fit my view of what God wants from me, and if it doesn't work, then I'll just cut the edges off and shove it in the box so that it fits my life. Do we open up God's word and say, well, that one's not very convenient. I don't really like that one. Oh, here's a passage I like. I'll just read this one over and over again. Well, that is absurd, isn't it? God is the creator of this world. God has created us and knows us and has called us to be his children. And that salvation comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who came and lived and died as a sacrifice for us. When we were in a position where there was no other way to be saved. Our God is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The one and only true God who spoke the world into existence, who created man. And that has not changed from the time of creation till now. From the time when scripture was written till now. From the time of Jesus till now. Our society wants us to think that that doesn't apply anymore. That maybe scripture is, is no longer relevant. Or that because we've decided that there isn't a God. That there is no longer a God. It hasn't changed. God is still the same. And our place before him should be one of humility. To humble ourselves before God. 
to recognize that it is him who has brought about salvation for us and not the other way around. That we need him. And so then all that we do then is not so for us. It is not to lift ourselves up. It is not to bring praise to us. It's not so that someone says and looks at us and says, that person right there is so very good. But that God is good. And any of the praise that then is, is thrown at us for being good or acting in, in a manner that is good should be redirected then back to God. So that person is aware. So if you've ever if you've ever been of service to someone and they say, oh, you know, thank you for helping, what's your response? You're welcome. Pretty standard. Is there an opportunity there to say, you know, I serve because God is great, you know? You know, you really did a lot of good work here. Well, it's actually God is fairly amazing. He's given us an opportunity to, to really do good things. To God, to God be the glory for all of this. Now, there, there are times when you'll probably just say, yeah, you're welcome. But hopefully we have this opportunity so that people understand how awesome God is. How truly amazing our God is. Now, any of you who, who know me know that I, I absolutely, absolutely love uh, the creation story. Because it's just, it's just so amazing. You go through and you, you read through Genesis and you read through what God did. Just, and then now just try to wrap your brain around it. Try to wrap your brain around creation. Okay, you've done it. God did this. But now try to wrap your brain around the idea that God created that out of nothing. We, we can mold things. We can shape things. We can take things and make other things. Right? But take nothing and make something. Take nothing and create a draft. Or an elephant. Or an ant. Or all the variety of ants. Or mankind. Out of dirt. Our God is an amazing God. You see that picture that Corey had uh, for the announcements in the, the very beginning of the sunset. How many times do you see a sunset and give glory to God? Every single time. <laughs> because God is, is amazing, isn't he? And I hope we have that, I hope we have that heart connected to what God has done. That allows us to acknowledge that it's okay for us to know our place before God, even though the world says differently. That it's okay to be humble. It's okay to live with humility. It's okay to acknowledge that God is great and amazing. Because he is, even though our world says all the opposite of that. That we truly, I mean, we truly embrace the example of God. And, and 
in particular, when we look at what Christ has done uh, through his ministry, through his, his life, one of the things that Christ did that is fairly profound, he comes into the world and almost always, and there's, this isn't always the case, but almost always in the stories of Christ, he goes and is helping those in need. He's working with those who have uh, either physical ailments, spiritual ailments. He's going to those who are sinners. And when the Jews were waiting for a Messiah, when they were waiting for their Savior, they were waiting for someone who would literally physically come and sit on the throne of David and would reestablish this kingdom in a physical manner. And, and to a large part, they're still waiting for that Messiah who would come and physically have this kingdom. So when Christ comes and is serving, and when Christ comes and is talking about uh, suffering and dying and going to the cross, and, and there's this disconnect then on what they think the Savior should be doing. And Christ is giving this example to his disciples, to us, of what it is to serve God. Of what it is to really, truly do the will of God. Turn into to John chapter 13. And we get to see one of these uh, stories of Jesus when he's willing to, to serve. And, and again, it's done as, a, as an example. It says in verse 1, It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, uh, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Okay, just, I know that's kind of in mid-verse there, but just think about that. Jesus knew at that time, okay, that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was going to return to God. And at that time, what does he choose to do? Is it a display of that power? Is that what happens next? A display of this tremendous uh, power that Christ has? This knowledge that he has of, of who he is and what he can do and all of this? Or what does he do? So, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. These are his disciples. These are his followers. He is their teacher and their Lord, the Son of God, who has all of this power. And he washes their feet. Have you ever washed someone else's feet? It's an incredibly humbling thing. And you think about even in the, in the time period that they lived in, the footwear that they would have worn... 
It was a very lowly position to be the servant that washed people's feet. Jesus takes on this role as an example to them. These disciples were going to go off in the, in the next little while. They were going to, to be the leaders of, of this new movement, right? This, this idea of Christianity, teaching, teaching the gospel and teaching Christ. And they would have had all of this, this authority. They would have had the spirit given to them in, in, a, in a magnificent and miraculous manner. And they would have had all of this power. And Christ is cementing in them the need to be servants, the need to humble themselves, the need to live with humility. So that they would understand, they would understand and have that image in their brain of Christ as a servant. It wasn't just for them, that example. It was written down and transferred through the ages so that we could look at that as well and understand what it is to serve. And not only that, but what else did Christ do right after that? He was willing to serve even unto death. It's one thing to, to wash his disciples' feet, but a, another than to take on the sin and death of all mankind as a suffering servant for us. I would question then how we could, in view of all of these things, look at our lives as anything else but an opportunity to serve God. in view of all that he has done, in view of the call that he has placed on us, are we going to reject that and live in arrogance and pride or embrace that and serve God according to his will? Turn into John chapter 14, and I want to read the first seven verses of John chapter 14 just in closing this morning. It says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him.